Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But it's just how we sometimes feel because we've always grown up being told that investing is just hard and that's, you know, point blank, nothing more. So it took me a few years to actually start looking into it a bit more, researching it. I took some investing courses. I read a few books and then I started reading the news and kind of building up my knowledge and my understanding. And I just had this light bulb moment where I was like, that's it. That's all stocks are. That's all the stock market is. Like it's such a simple concept. And I felt so mad that I had been trained to think that it just wasn't for me. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and you're listening to episode 114, How to Become a First-Gen Investor with Simran and Sonia of Girls That Invest podcast. Sim and Sonia are two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. With just 20 to 30% of women investing in stocks, 
Sim and Sonia have made it their personal mission to make sure young women are represented in the financial media space. They love creating investing education that's inviting and enjoyable to consume. And since launching their podcast, Girls That Invest, which breaks down the intimidating and not-so-well-taught world of investing and growing wealth, they have become the largest investing and stock market podcast for women worldwide. You can follow Sim and Sonia on Instagram at Girls That Invest. In this episode, we're going to talk about growing up with immigrant parents and the conversations around money, how they first learned about investing, the initial steps that they took to become investors, the limiting beliefs new investors may have around investing in money, plus top tips on when you should start investing, and some resources for folks who are based in New Zealand. So if you are ready to become a first-gen investor, stay tuned. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Let's start off with some introductions. So yeah, my name is Simran. I started Girls That Invest a year ago in March 2020. I feel like a lot of recent startups kind of began during that lockdown phase during COVID. We were all kind of bored. And yeah, it's just grown to be this online space on Instagram and our podcast where we just break down investing terms and make it a little bit more easy and fun. Sonia and I have been best friends since we were like five and we never spoke about money. And then when we started to, we realized it was such a taboo topic and like for what? Like why don't we speak about it? (laughs) Yes, that is a very common story and I just – want folks to know you are not of Latinx heritage. So it's not just us that's not talking about this, right? Where's your family from? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I am Indian and so is Sonia. We're women of color living in New Zealand. And even in New Zealand, our culture, Kiwi culture, so like the culture of the country, no one talks about money and it's so taboo. And then investing is just like one step further, like Someone might tell you how much they've saved, but they're not going to talk about if they're investing or not or like how to get started. And it benefits no one. Absolutely. Sonia, let's have you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Sonia. I am 25 years old. I'm a full-time team leader at a contact center. So that's my profession. Sim just explained, I started this investing journey in lockdown last year, so back in March, and it was inspired by a conversation that Sim and I had as well. So it was amazing what's come from us just talking about our money and also her educating me a little bit on her investing journey and how that this world all works as well. 
Yeah, I love that this was all the product of a conversation. And I think that just speaks to how powerful it is when we do start talking about money. So let's talk about what your respective families' relationship with money was like growing up. And we can start off with you, Sonia. What did you learn about money as a kid or maybe not learn? (laughs) Yeah, I think bless my parents, their immigrant parents, they were doing their best, but we never had open conversations about money. What I knew was that I was taken care of and I was never made to feel that I was missing out on anything. But in terms of even saving money or things like investments, we never talked about it. So what I learned was to not talk about it and therefore in my social (laughs) circles (laughs) and with my friends and even Sim and I for being friends for so long like we only just started talking about this a year ago that was my biggest takeaway from growing up with like my parents and how long have you known each other 20 years wow so 20 years of friendship and you just started talking about money (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I can think about my own relationships. I have some friendships that are 20, 25 years old, and it's only now that we're talking about these things. And I think it's also maybe it's been a little bit destigmatized just because it feels like it's a more open conversation. But for the longest time, like you wouldn't even dare ask your friends, like, how much do you make at work or like Mm -hmm. anything like that? Right. And so I'm glad that those taboos are starting to come down. But I think there's still a lot of work to do. So Simran, how about you? What's your money story as a child? Yeah, so I think very similar to Sonia's, I had parents that would not really speak about like how much they made or what was going on, but I would always be very interested and I would actually ask them like, hey, dad, like how much do you make? Mom, how much do you make? How much do these things cost? So I always had an interest in it but I felt like I was always having to ask, like no one wanted to share these figures with me unless I poked them. And so I always kind of viewed it as, oh, I'm just being a bit nosy. I should probably not do that with like people outside of my family. And yeah, like we were saying only until last year, 20 years into friendship, Sonia and I were like, okay, how much do you make? How much have you saved? How much do you invest? And it was so interesting, so mind opening and it just made us feel like if she can do it I can do it and if I can do it she can do it and we just grew so much more by opening up. I'm curious what the conversation was that sparked this realization in both of you that you need to be more transparent about money and you need to learn more. Oh that's a good question. Do you remember Sonia? I do. We were in your old flat. We were on the floor. (laughs) And I think we were talking about other things and just life goals. And then it was how much you're making this year as a first year optometrist, sorry, because that's her day trade. (laughs) And then I shared what I was making and then we talked about savings. And I think I've always had a keen interest in personal finance, just not the investment part of it. And I learned a lot of that from my brother. And so I was just kind of sharing what he's taken me through and a few books that we've read, and I think it just stemmed from there, and it was over an hour. It was a really good convo. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so who finds out about investing first? Was it you, Sibrin, or was it you, Sonia? It was Sim. 
Okay, so what did you learn? So my experience with investing started when I was back in university and the first time I'd heard about it was a conversation where a guy was telling me how his friend who was in medicine, medical school, he invested his money and paid off his student loan, which would have been like $60,000, $70,000 in New Zealand, which is, I guess, not a lot of money compared to the US. But he said it and my first thought was, I can't do that. Like it wasn't, oh, that's interesting. How did he do it? Oh, like, do you have his number? Can I talk to him? It was just, oh, well, sounds like he's got a dad in finance and therefore he's got like insider information or whatever. And I just shut myself down from it, just like at a snap of a finger. So that was my first experience. And it just, it makes me sad now to think that that's what my mindset around money was and about learning. But it's just how we sometimes feel because we've always grown up being told that investing is just hard and that's, you know, point blank, nothing more. So it took me a few years to actually start looking into it a bit more, researching it. I took some investing courses. I read a few books and then I started reading the news and kind of building up my knowledge and my understanding. And I just had this light bulb moment where I was like, that's it that's all stocks are, that's all the stock market is, like it's such a simple concept and I felt so mad that I had been trained to think that it just wasn't for me. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the lack of representation of what an investor looks like in our communities, right? Like we are very familiar with like the Warren Buffetts of the world and these hedge fund managers, but like women of color investors are still very hard to identify like famous wealthy people who are doing it. Absolutely. Like I can only think of like two off the top of my head and even them two, like Kathy Woods from ARC Investments and Sally Krawcheck from Alavest. That's just two people. I couldn't tell you one more woman in the investing Mm -hmm. world. And so how did you rope Sonia into this? (laughs) 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 What did you tell her that got her off of the fence? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think my memory's that good. I think I would have had to have said something along the lines of, this is what I'm doing. And I remember Sonia and I were speaking about how I wanted to buy my first house. Like I'd started working for the first time last year and I was like, I'm going to set this goal. This is what I'm going to do. And Sonia was like, at the time, she was like, oh, well, I kind of want to travel. I don't want to buy a house, but I still want to be smart with my money and so that's when I was kind of like well what about the stock market because you don't have to commit to a house you don't have to be Mm -hmm. there doing the renovations making sure that the tenants are looked after you can still invest your money in other ways and I believe that's kind of the angle I took yeah I remember my response to that was like nah that looks too hard thanks so much for the info though (laughs) love your work love what you're doing I'm going to be over here though (laughs) because in my head I was like I just want to save my money so I can go overseas. I wasn't really thinking about wealth creation at the time but bless Sim, she continued trying to have the conversation with me and I think eventually it just clicked and with my learning journey because I need to actually 
focus while I'm trying to learn something. So I went through like a beginner's investing course, which was free. It was from a platform called Hatch in New Zealand. And they gave you bite-sized pieces like every day across 10 days. And that's how I built my knowledge. And then it just stemmed from there. But I think everyone needs those light bulb moments to actually start doing the research. And like Sim, the reason I didn't get into it was more around the intimidation factor of, oh my gosh, so much jargon, so many words that I don't know. Even when you watch videos on YouTube, it's filled with language. Like I need someone to break it down from the beginning of time. And then I (laughs) felt like I would start to get it. But then I feel like that's almost also a dangerous place to be in when you're in that research paralysis of I need to know everything under the sun before I get into it as well. So yeah, I've definitely learned a lot of lessons the past year, to say the least. Yeah, it's absolutely its own language. And you're right. That's what overwhelms people because there's so much terminology being thrown at you that you get overwhelmed. And so I think what happens, like you mentioned, is a lot of people stay stuck information overload and then we don't do anything. So for both of you, like mm-hmm. what was your initial step into actually becoming an investor after you started learning it? So how did you decide to invest? Like what account did you use and why? First I tried out what we call like a retirement fund and like the US it's like the 401k in New Zealand we call it Kiwi Saver and just choosing the right fund because you can choose and when you're little you just kind of get told like, oh, you can just have your money in this and that's what the bank tells you and you kind of just go with that. So being able to choose the right retirement fund and actually understanding what was in these funds was my first step. And then I was like, you know what, I think I can do this. I feel, and this might be a bit of a generalization, but I feel like female investors from what we've seen in our community, we want to understand it all and then jump into it. Whereas our male counterparts tend to jump straight into it and then learn on the go and they'll buy like a stock of this a stock of that and they go oh that did well that didn't do well and it's like a positive feedback loop whereas what I needed to do for myself was learn it all and then when I did I was like okay I'm going to open up an account I used um, Hatch which is a New Zealand based investing broker it's probably similar to Robinhood that would be the best way to describe it and it was just US shares so we well I jumped in And yeah, it was so straightforward. It was as easy as buying a shirt off ASOS. Like you just click on the company you want to buy or the fund you want to buy. You go to the checkout and that's it. And I was just shell shook because I did not understand how something so easy had been so gate kept for so many years of my life. It's almost underwhelming, eh? You're like, (laughs) I thought that something was supposed to happen now. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Sonia? What was your first foray into investing? Yeah, it's kind of similar to Sims. It started off with KiwiSaver. I didn't even know that I was in KiwiSaver and had been since I was 16, since I started working. And it was just, again, like, My dad was like, you need to do this, but didn't explain the why behind it. So for years, I was just like, yep, it's doing its own thing. So I'd already been in the stock market for a bit. And then I went on to Hatch, again, the micro investing platform that Sim just spoke about. And I actually bought $400 worth of Apple. And I went with the advice of 
if you like this company, if you know about the company, if you use their products, then that's a great way to start. Now, I love Apple products. I have a MacBook. I have an iPhone. I've always loved them. So I know what they're about. I've watched a documentary or two about Steve Jobs. (laughs) So I was like, why not? So yeah, that's my very first investment. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that you guys didn't allow the abundance of information to stop you because that stops so many of us. So I'd love some advice from each of you as to how to prevent that overwhelm. If you had to pick an area to focus on as a brand new investor to focus on to educate yourself, what would that be? We can start off with you, Sim. I think the main concern that we get from our community members or like people that like reach out to us and they're like, oh, I really want to invest, but, and that but is always, I'm scared I'm going to lose money. And I think that's so fair because if you work a nine to five, if you're busting your ass every day, you do not want to lose a single cent. And I felt the same way when I had started. So I think understanding the different levels of risk and understanding that you might invest in something that is less risky and someone else might go for something that is more risky and that's still investing in the stock market. It's not all the same. I think that would be my first area of jumping in. And if I had to give someone one thing to Google today, it would be Google the S&P 500's track record over the last 40 years and just see what the top 500 companies of the US have done over the 40 years. And you'll see it goes up and down, but you'll see an overall trend line of it going up, always recovers after every crash if you are investing for the long term. So I think that would be my advice here. I love that perspective. How about you, Sonia? My biggest piece of advice would probably be that there's no right path to investing or there's not a right profile of an investor that you can copy and paste for yourself. I think a lot of the advice that we give stems from one, just knowing yourself a little bit better and taking the time to knowing what your risk appetite is, like Sim said, but also how you like to learn, how you want to do things, what your values and ethics are, because then that will also help with your investments. Like I think the biggest thing that people think is that, or one of the biggest things, sorry, (laughs) that people think is that there's a sense of compromise that you feel with investing. So you're like, I have these certain ethics or values. I'm going to have to compromise that for wealth creation, which is not the case at all. And it's amazing what your path will look like and how clear everything will be when you invest some time and just getting to know yourself a little bit better and like reflecting as well. You know what I find really interesting that you both based in New Zealand are investing in US companies, which I think there's this like idea that for some reason, like you can only invest in your stock market, like us as Americans, like we can't invest Mm. in international funds and companies. And I think that's a huge myth. So I think that's awesome. Uh, One thing I want to talk about, which I've learned in just my journey about learning about investing around the world is this idea of a superannuation. So you guys have this in New Zealand, and I'm thinking this is somewhat similar to like a the social security program in the US. But is that accurate? It's more similar to like the 401k, which is that you're investing for your retirement. So what that does, you basically, whatever you earn from your job, 
you can opt for like 3% or 8% of it to be taken out of your salary and put into an investment fund. And then your employer will match that money out of their own pocket. And then the government tops that up. And then there is also this thing, yeah, there's a superannuation as well, which is similar. And that's that when you turn, is it 65, 65 or 70, that you get like $6,400 a week from the government, which is absolutely nothing. And it's just another reason why we need to be so focused on growing our own wealth and creating our own nest egg because the average rent in New Zealand is like 500, 600. So you're paying nothing essentially. Yeah. Wow. And the superannuation program, is that like mandatory or is that voluntary? It is voluntary. It's it's heavily encouraged. (laughs) (laughs) Highly suggested. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting that the government provides some funding for that because if you know anything about the American retirement system, there is none. (laughs) It's like, figure it out, y'all. Every man for himself. It's like the freaking Hunger Games, essentially. But it just speaks to this idea that I think millennials are the first generation where we're like completely on our own. Mm. And that's why it's so important for us to learn these wealth building techniques, because we don't have another choice unless we want to be working forever. I think that's an interesting point as well, because I wonder if that attributes to the reason why Kiwi investors are just slower to get on the investing track compared to Americans because we know that we've got the pension at 65 and we've Mm. kind of got that grace. But even then with things like inflation, you can't really rely on just the pension. Yeah. So let's talk about the limiting beliefs that so many new investors, I think especially women have. We touched a little bit upon this idea of like you're going to lose money and that investing is seen for many people as gambling, which is not. But what are some of the other limiting beliefs that you see your clients tend to have? Is it that they're just, they think they need to pick one stock or they'll never make any money? Is it just they think that the men in their lives should be managing money? Like what's going on? My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, 
Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. I think the third biggest thing that we've come across besides like people thinking it's like gambling or that it's um, risky is that, and this is something me and Sonia both also thought before we started the journey. So there's no judgment here, but it was the idea that you invest once you're rich or that investing <laughs> is for the rich. Um, well, now we laugh about it because investing is how you get to that level of wealth that you are after and how you get to financial freedom. But at the time, I always imagine like once I have the nice house and I have a boat and I have the nice car, then all that spare cash that I have, I'll just invest it. And it just is such a common, yeah, a problem that we find within our community and the people that we talk to. The truth is maybe 20 years ago, investing was not accessible if you didn't have a huge lump sum to start off with, like 20K, 10K. But now... You can, because of fractional shares, invest in as little as a dollar. A single dollar can make you an investor and you are no better or worse than the investors with, you know, millions of dollars. We're all investors. It's just we aren't told that we have access to this. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. I think it just, to echo what I said earlier, there's no right path to investing and there's no investor profile that you should be trying to emulate. And I think people think, oh, if I'm not investing $1,000 a month, then what's the point? It's just not the case anymore. Yeah. Can you break down fractional shares for those who are hearing that term for the first time? What does that mean? And what are you doing when you purchase fractional shares? Yeah, absolutely. So fractional shares is basically saying that if you took a share and you wanted to buy it, let's say Amazon, for example, because this was the first share I had bought and I had bought it as a fractional share. When I was buying shares, Amazon was about $1,000 or $2,000 for one share. And I did not have, nor was I willing to spend a single thousand dollars just on one share. It could go down. It was too much money for me. So what I did is I bought $300 worth of one Amazon share, which mm -hmm. was like 0.01% or something like that. And so my $300 will go up and down in the same percentage. Like if Amazon went up 10%, my $300 will go up 10% or it would go down 10% based on what the stock would do. But you're basically buying a small piece of one stock, which makes it so much more accessible. Yeah. 
I think that's important for folks to know, especially if you're just starting off on a budget and you don't have a lot of money to begin investing. That's the perception that a lot of people have is that you need a ton of money to get started. And so I think the beauty of fractional shares is that it really does expand the accessibility to the stock market to anyone. Like you mentioned, you can start with a dollar. So along those lines, obviously, a lot of us are dealing with debt, either it's student loan debt, some of us have bought homes, there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out like, should I be investing while I'm in debt? Or should I tackle debt first, and then begin investing? And I'd love your thoughts on that. I personally, I personally was debt free before I started investing. So when I got my first full-time job in 2018, I was making manual payments towards my student loan, even though with the way that New Zealand works, it's automated. Your how do I explain it? <laughs> Simply. Your, your like wage takes out money and gives it towards your loan before the money gets yeah, in your bank account. You don't have to think about it at all. Like it does it for you. But I was making manual payments and then I also had my emergency fund built up as well before I started investing because that was for my own peace of mind because I was very much so I don't want to lose my money. And my risk appetite was very low, but also that was because I didn't know any better and I wasn't on this investment journey back in 2018. So I think it's really hard to say you should do this and you should do that. I personally like the way that I did it because I had that peace of mind of being debt free and having that safety net there. And the money that I was investing was almost seen as play money, but that is a massive privilege. And I recognize that. And I think the way that I was able to do it, like not everyone has afforded the same privilege either. So what about you, Sim? I think my take on it is that if you have consumer debt, that's probably like with a high interest um, payback, like that's probably the kind of debt that you want to tackle before you start investing. So my personal steps if I was recommending anything was tackle the consumer debt first you want that all gone if you can then you want to have at least some sort of an emergency fund and have that saved up like three months worth and then once that's done then yeah feel free to start investing the concept of should you pay off your mortgage first or invest in the stock market I think that is such a good question we get it all the time I don't even know if I personally know the answer to it, but as someone that has bought my house on my own and I'm the sole you know, payer of my mortgage, I've also got money in the stock market. And for me personally, I'm comfortable with just paying the bare minimum on my mortgage, whatever the mortgage requires me to, and investing the rest in stocks because the interest rates are really low right now. The stock market is, in my case, I think it's doing quite well and so I'm happy to take that risk and do it that way but I think it really depends on your personal beliefs and your personality if you'd rather just get the debt out of the way then yeah maybe hold off for a little bit and see how you feel that's why they say personal finance is personal there is no right or wrong answer <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your investing philosophies some folks are very into like index funds and ETFs because of the built-in diversification and the lower risk associated with that type of diversification. And some folks are like all in on individual stocks just because of the growth potential. I'm curious, which do you individually prefer? And we can start off with you, Sim. So for me, I 
really just love to do a lot of research and see like well what do the study finds what does hardcore evidence show over the long term and what I was surprised by is that ETFs and index funds tend to outperform picking stocks yourself over the long term but in the short term picking stocks yourself can sometimes be better there was I don't know if you saw the study it was a little bit old but they found that like only two to eight percent of professional fund managers actually bet the stock market out over a 15-year period. That is a very small number of people and these aren't like everyday people. These are people that do this for a job. They're getting paid six figures to choose companies to invest in for their clients and only two to eight percent of them are even doing it better than an index fund would, than an ETF would. So based off that, I was like, look, (laughs) I'm no fund manager. I know what my limits are. It's not that. So I prefer to go down the ETF index fund route. I put about 80 to 90% of my portfolio into something like VOO, which is like the Vanguard S&P 500. So top 500 companies in the US. And then because I do have a little bit of a desire to try picking stocks just for the fun of it I will have a bit of fun money which is about 10% 20% of my investments just to give it a go but I'm okay with that not doing so well because I'm so heavily in the ETFs to begin with. I love that statistic about the fund managers like that's a lot of people getting paid money to do very mediocre work. I don't know what other (laughs) industries you could get away with being that bad at your job that consistently. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good point. I guess that's just what happens when it's just filled with a certain demographic of people and they all kind of just make that the standard. They're like, no, this is fine. Keep paying us millions. We're doing a great job. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Sonia. I'd say the same. So 80 to 90% of my portfolio is in ETFs as well. And I got into it for the simple fact that at least I'm, I don't have all my eggs in one basket um, with ETFs and it's pretty simple way of doing so. I don't think it needs to be overly complicated and I just accept the fact that it's so easy and try not to question it too much. But I do have a few individual stocks and then I've got my Kiwi Saver as well. So, yeah, very cool. So, what are some of the apps that folks can use if they're based in New Zealand in order to invest? Like you mentioned, Hatch. Are there others that you would say are providing a good user experience and, like, a hopefully some sort of educational platform that coincides with that as well? I think if you're after something that is a little bit more educational, and has like a very beginner friendly feel to it. There's another company called Sharesies, which is huge. Disclaimer, we are in a partnership slash sponsorship with Sharesies. So take what we say with a grain of salt, but it's, it's very pink. It's very pretty. It invests in the US market and the New Zealand and Australian market, whereas Hatch just does the US. And they're both very good at just making it seem so pretty, so friendly. And I know that sounds silly. Like why does an investing platform have to look pretty? But you just feel like it's for you. You feel like they want you to be there and you're in a space that you well, is made for you as opposed to something that just feels so like interactive brokers where it's just so overwhelming and 
yeah I think those are really the main two there's a few here and there we don't have as many as the US does but I think we've got enough to sort of take the basics yeah I just checked out their website it is super pretty and I'd love to include your link in the show notes so if folks want to check that out be happy to provide that All right. So let's talk about your best advice for someone who is ready to invest, maybe your favorite resources on where they can start to learn if that's a favorite book, a favorite podcast, a favorite influencer. What's your respective favorite resources for learning about investing so that folks can finally get off the fence? I think this sounds a bit funny, but Yahoo Finance is actually a really good resource. They have every stock, if you search it up, they have all the information that you need to know about it. And then if you want to know what things mean and you're more of like a reader, then investopedia.com has so many great articles that explain things. If you are into listening to podcasts, for example, if you like audio, then the Girls That Invest podcast, we break down every single thing about all types of investing, what crypto is, what an NFT is, how do you actually make money in the stock market. And then if you're more of like a visual person, you just want like little bite-sized bits of information, our Instagram is a good place to start as well. In terms of books, Sonia, did you have like some examples since you love reading? I have so many books that I could recommend. Top five off the bat would be well, at least the personal finance books that changed my life, Psychology of Money, Your Money or Your Life, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great one. And then you've got, I guess, the more traditional ones. The Intelligent Investor, is that the one you're thinking of? Yes, oh my God, The Intelligent Investor, which I feel like is a classic, but it's also filled with jargon as well. A horrible book to read, but it has so much good information. Yeah, it's so boring and like I found myself – reading pages over and over again to make sure it made sense to me but it's still a good resource but I think if you're just starting out again I don't mean to sound like a broken record here but if you know how you learn and what your learning style is it's going to be so easy to facilitate that because we're in an age or time where people are talking about it audio and visuals you've got YouTube there's a few great YouTubers out there that break it down, um, Graham Stephan being a notable one, and Investing with Rose. She's also a woman of color and breaks it down really well. But yeah, I think there's resources that will cater to what you enjoy and how you like to consume information. It's just a matter of Googling it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the internet, there really is no barrier to access at this point. Exactly. You can just literally Google how to start investing and and see where that takes you. (laughs) Okay, so someone walks up to you and they're like, I want to start investing. I have $100. What should I do first? Really putting us on the spot with this one. (laughs) Without, I guess, giving actual financial advice, because, you know, we're all different. We've all got different needs. You need to make sure you don't have debt that is of high interest. Like I said, make sure you've got money saved up. And if this is $100 that you do not mind not needing for the next at least three to five years, then a really good step is finding an online broker There's so many in different countries. So just searching like online broker and then the country that you're in, like UK, Canada, US, 
having a look at maybe what the top two most popular ones are because they're usually popular for a reason. And then you just sign up an account. You give some like government documents like your passport or your driver's license just to make sure that it's you. You put in the money and then I think the best thing that I would do as a beginner is based off what Warren Buffett says, which is just start looking into an index fund. It's simple. It beats hedge funds over a 10-year period like you are not paying so much in fees and yet you're also just being a part of the market because you're investing in the entire market so that would be my piece of advice if someone had come up to me mine would be S&P 500 assuming that you've got everything sorted because I feel like it's an easy way to diversify there's a ton of information on it it's arguably the most popular ETF in the world and how people do how people get started so yeah assuming that you've got everything sussed and you are happy to have this hundred dollars as play money just chuck it into the S&P 500 why not You know, I think the first time you invest is always the scariest. And then once you realize that you didn't die and that your money is probably doing (laughs) much more work than you ever could trying to, you know, just have that sitting in a bank account and earning an abysmal amount of interest, I think that it becomes addictive. Like I know I'm at the phase of an investor where I can't find enough money to invest. I am bringing my bank account close to zero every time I get paid because I'm just like, where's the money? Let's throw it all at the market. Now I'm I'm saying I'm on the other side of the extreme, but it really does become addictive once you see the power that the stock market has to grow your wealth in ways that you can't do anywhere else. Mm, that is so true. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. I was like that as well when I first started and it would become things like, do I want to spend on this really nice top which is totally fine or could I put it towards my little bank account where I then put all that money into my investing account at the end of every month it just becomes like what do I value more and for some things like coffees I'll still spend the money because it's important to me but it's so fun to like realize that yeah it just becomes like a game almost (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's find the loose change in the couch that we can invest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so motivating. I feel like that's the case with most things. Like when you start seeing your savings grow, you're like, oh, I want to chuck more money into it. Or when you start working out more, you're like, oh, I noticed some changes. Let me continue this great habit. You could apply that to everything. And I think it just goes to show the hardest step to take is actually starting mm-hmm. just got to rip the band-aid off absolutely and I love that you touch on the value-based spending sim because we don't need to cut everything out of our lives in order to become good investors right like I think part of building wealth is knowing that you're not making it a an excruciating miserable process it's you taking care of your future self and I'd be curious for both of you like what is your ultimate goal as investors? Do you want to retire early? Are you saving to help your parents as they get older? Are you planning for a future family? What is your ultimate goal for your wealth building journeys? For me at this moment in time, I don't, I'm truly a buy and hold type of person. I don't anticipate that I'd touch my investments in the next 10, 15, 20 years. In terms of the goal, I 
I do hope for an early retirement. Me working until 65 just does not seem great. Like, I just don't want to do that. With my parents, I think this is very people of color. I think an extent to Latino communities, but also very South Asian Indian communities. I do have a certain amount of my paycheck every fortnight going into a bank account for my parents' retirement because I'd really like, that's really important to me. I'd like to fund that and make it happen and ensure that they're, they don't have to worry about anything. They've done so much for me. My brother, you know, it's time to pay them back. And in terms, yeah, top two intentions at the moment. What about you, Sim? Honestly, yeah, the same. Like we are definitely part of the FIRE community. We see so much value in being able to have enough money to be able to walk away from certain situations, at least like for myself. I've grown up like the kind of culture that we're in is very patriarchal and it's very, you know, the man of the house makes the money and he gets to call the shots. And I grew up seeing that, you know, with my aunties and the women around me. And it was just something that I didn't want for myself. And I was like, if I can be financially independent, I can walk away from any situation where I just feel disrespected, whether that be in a job, whether that be in a relationship or a marriage. Um, Some people have parents that might have money, but then use that as a way to like leverage um, them getting their way. Like don't marry this person. Otherwise, you know, you won't get your inheritance and things like that. So I think for me, the biggest goal I have is just to have enough, what I call FU money, where I can walk away And it feels great to almost be there and to be at a place where if I had a job that I did not like, I could just be like, I'm doing this for fun. I'm not doing this because I need your paycheck. That is the ultimate goal because money is freedom. That's it. It's options. Yeah. And I think heaps of people like to say money can't bring you happiness. And I agree with that to a certain extent, but it does give you choice and that's what's most important, especially in our communities. Absolutely. That is so inspiring. Both of you are so, so inspiring. I'm so glad that you're in this community, empowering us to really not be scared of investing and realizing that it's a really important wealth building tool that has been used by so many other communities to create generational wealth. And it's also something that we can harness as well. So before we end the interview, I'd love to know if you have some sort of money mantra or affirmation that you boost your confidence with as an investor or that you just channel in order to stay focused on your wealth building journeys. I think for me, my favorite thing that I use to get started and to keep going is that everyone starts from zero. Like Warren Buffett at one point was asking his friends what an ETF was. He was asking his friends, how do you even make money in the stock market? Like no one is born with like a manual and especially not men. And I don't know why we sometimes get this perception that they're just naturally better at grasping these things. They're not. They just do it. They don't know it, but they'll just do it. And so we, yeah, I think that is the thing that for me, I just tell myself, like, look, everyone started somewhere. You're not stupid for not knowing this yet. You just don't know it yet. And you absolutely have the brain power to understand it. And if you don't, try somewhere else. Learn from a different teacher. Maybe learn from a different form of like a learning style. And so that is what I always tell our community, our listeners, 
it's not you. It's not that you can't do it. Just try a different way of learning about it. Yeah, I love that. Sonia, do you have one? Yeah, I do. I think there's a few things that I write down as mantras, affirmations, if you will, because I think the biggest blocker for most people is mindset and feeling like your money's controlling you and they really fear their finances and fear money, having too much, having too little. So a few affirmations that I like to go over to reaffirm my money mindset is money comes easily to me. I'm in control of my finances. I'm paying myself first. Really those I statements to ensure that I have like a positive relationship with money. So that would be mine. (laughs) Fantastic. I always love hearing those mantras because I feel like you get in a window into someone's personality when you find out what they use to boost themselves. And so I want to thank you both for the work that you do. And for folks, I want to find out more about you and follow your journey as wealth builders, work with you to become savvy investors themselves. Where's the best place for us to find you? So we have probably our largest community on Instagram. That's our main platform. We have 64,000 followers, which is insane because we started this last year. So it's such a wonderful community of people that like comment and like you can ask comment in the comment section. Someone will like answer it. It's really sweet. That's probably the best place to find us. We've also got podcasts, Girls That Invest, where we just break down all the things that you wish you could ask, but you just don't want to be mansplained about. Like what actually is Evergrande, for example, what's happened there? And so those are probably the two best places to find us. We've also got a Facebook group, which is sort of a a safe space, again, to ask those questions. And yeah, if you ever want to DM us, like our invoice If you ever want to DM us, our inbox is always open. We're always happy to have a chat and point you in the right direction. And yeah, we're just so happy to have been invited to come on here. Like it was such an honor. I sent like a screenshot to Sonia when I saw your email. I was like, oh my God, like look who wants to chat with us. You guys crack me up with the fangirling. I mean, I am such a big fan of your work. I think the more voices that we have in this community, the better, the more diverse voices we have in this community, the better. And so thank you for the work that you do to inspire and empower us. I love the idea that our future children, if we had any, would grow up seeing faces like yours and like ours, and they just see that as the norm. Like it, it's amazing. Absolutely. 
and you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer